Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who, after earning his bachelor's degree in biology from Brooklyn College in 1984, went down a totally different career path. After getting his master's degree in athletic training from Long Island University in 1986, he became LIU's Brooklyn's head athletic trainer and curriculum director for graduate athletic training studies for over 10 years. From there, he became the assistant athletic trainer for the New York Knicks from 1997 to 2004, working with the legendary Mike Saunders. He also served as the athletic trainer for the 1999 NBA Eastern Conference All-Stars as a conference... um, as well as um, the head current medical coordinator of the National Basketball Association Referee Operations. As March's National Athletic Training Month, it is our pleasure to welcome the 2016 recipient of the New York State Athletic Trainers Association Thomas Sheehan Award for Outstanding Service, Saeed Hamden, to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Saeed. Oh, thank you for having me. Good evening. It's our pleasure. And for those in our audience who may be unclear or may even confuse an athletic trainer with a personal trainer or even with a physical therapist, can you tell us how those three differ? Yes, and I think that's the most important point, uh, the difference between the three. Uh, Athletic trainers or healthcare professionals that render service or even treatment under the direction or in collaboration with a physician. Uh, the, th- the type of services that we provide include uh, injury and illness prevention, uh, wellness promotion and education, uh, emergency care, um, examining and clinical evaluation of injuries, and then, uh, of course, therapeutic intervention and rehabilitation. You know, athletic, trainer- athletic trainers are really the hubs of the athletic world. Uh, we know, uh, we always listen to the injury reports. Everybody wants to know if they're favorite player is going to play, uh, but it's, it runs a lot deeper than that. Youth athletics is at an all-time high, and, and having athletic trainers on the field to, to deal with injuries makes the difference between what personal trainers and fitness trainers and, and the others do. And that's not discounting the very important roles of strength and conditioning coaches and people that, that train athletes uh, from a uh, strength standpoint, perhaps, or from a agility standpoint, uh, or from a technical standpoint on the field. Um, but you can't do any of this without the health side, and that's what athletic trainers do. So what are the prerequisites, education and knowledge base-wise, that you need to become an athletic trainer? Well, you mentioned the shift in my, um, in my educational background. Right. <laughs> but... Yeah, uh, but a majority of athletic trainers, 70% of all certified athletic trainers, uh, have master's degrees. And um, the, the credentialing uh, includes a bachelor's degree in a health-related field and then a very stringent clinical and didactic portion of education uh, and then sitting for the National Athletic Trainers Association certification exam. Uh, we have 45,000 members worldwide in the NATA, and 79% of us are, are NATA certified. And, by the way, 55% are female. Uh, so it is not a male-dominated field at all, and we have a, a great diversity 
uh, racially and, uh, and from a standpoint, male-to-female ratio. So this is A.J. Carter. When we hear talk, teams talk about how they're meeting with the training staff and the trainers to plan out to prevent injuries. And now the Mets talk about they train, change their staff, change their regimens. What type of role does the trainer play? What is the interaction with management, with the man- on-field people, with the front office people, in terms of setting up plans for players so they don't get hurt? Well, it's very important to recognize the individuals on teams. Every player has different requirements uh, physically or uh, different abilities physically. Uh, It's very important to dissect a team according to the personnel and then prescribe exercise or treatment plans according to the propensity for injury. Uh, Athletic trainers are able to recognize these things, are able to go deep into the histories, the medical histories of players. Uh, there's so much movement on the professional level with trades and with, uh, with different movement drafts where assessment is very important. And then it's our responsibility to bring this to management and explain it in a manner that allows them to make the decisions that they need to make. Uh, there has never been more collaboration between upper management, um, ownership, coaches, uh, with athletic trainers than there is now in the present day. We just know so much more. Sorry, this is Ryan Sherman. So we talked about the credentials of being an athletic trainer, but I think one of the biggest things, personally, I'll, I'll explain a little bit, that uh, at one point in my life I was pursuing physical therapy, and then I realized I didn't have the stomach or the metal to, to get in there and deal with these injuries, and that's on a rehabilitative standpoint, but the athletic trainers are really on the forefront of these injuries, and they're the guys who are women who get right into the huddle when guys have towels over their head and everyone can't see it, but there's, there's no way, other way around it. The athletic trainer is there as the first response. So what does it goes into being you know, that calm and cool under pressure? Well, sometimes you don't realize how calm and cool you are until after the injury occurs. Uh, we don't have time to think about it. Uh, anything from a head injury, which is a real hot-button topic these days, to a devastating possible career-ending injury. Uh, I remember watching Joe Theismann injury, uh, uh, his injury on Monday Night Football, or uh, Napoleon McCallum when he had a dislocated knee on Monday Night Football that, that almost killed him, you know? Uh, and I think that that is really what makes us tremendously special, being on the on the sidelines and being to be emergency responders, uh, unconscious athletes, uh, potential life-threatening injuries. Every year you hear these wonderful stories of athletic trainers who have saved lives using AEDs, coaches, uh, staff members, uh, and 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 just not too long ago, Tim Walsh, the great athletic trainer for the for the New Jersey and, and Brooklyn Nets, uh, saved. Two lives in one year uh, using AEDs. One was a staff member, one was a player. So you look at these things, and, and that really is what makes us different. And there's a certain gratification that comes with consoling an athlete that is in dire straits. Uh, athletes just don't know how severely they may be injured when it happens. And being there to uh, explain it to them and establish a plan and hold their hand through the process is extremely gratifying. 
You know, aside from the sports I mentioned that you did in the Open, you also served as a, a side athletic trainer for the 1994 Soccer World Cup at Giant Stadium. Does each sport pose a different set of challenges for an athletic trainer, as I'm sure concussions happen a lot more in soccer and football and hockey than in baseball and basketball, and there are a lot more arm and shoulder injuries in baseball. So how difficult it is it for an athletic trainer to move amongst the sports? Well, our training, uh, just by definition, prepares us to deal with all different types of sports and all different types of injuries. Um, let's face it, a knee injury is a knee injury. If it happens on a ski slope or if it happens on a basketball court, the assessment of a potential ACL uh, is the same across the board. Uh, the mechanisms have to be examined. How the injury occurred has to be assessed and then you act accordingly. But when you cross over from sport to sport, I think, for me, the biggest challenge has been the challenge of time. In some sports, you could sub a guy out or a girl out and assess the injury and then determine if they're going back in. In other sports, you don't have that luxury. In wrestling, if you don't make an assessment within a few seconds, the match is over. Uh, in soccer, you can't come out onto the field in NCAA Division One soccer or even in MLS soccer or in, you know, World Cup soccer, you can't come out on the field without that player coming off the field. So the determination has to be spot on, and even the decision to go out on the field has to be spot on. So I think time is really what makes it different from sport to sport. Interesting. How, how different is it? In game now, football you see the doctors run out uh, also into the middle of the field when a player gets injured. How different is the sports with some the the physician is right there, runs out onto the field, and in others basically the trainer's the first uh, uh, line of defense uh, of action, and then the doctor doesn't show up until they get back into the locker room. Well, I think there's a big difference between a player getting hit by a pitch or a collision in the outfield. Um, uh, and uh, a 350-pound lineman hitting a quarterback. Uh, you need all hands on deck, and it's very important for there to be many eyes and many hands involved. Uh, some of the biggest fears we have as athletic trainers are spinal injuries, neck injuries, where one movement can lead to a catastrophic situation. So having people there to stabilize, to discuss, to decide what the next move is going to be made um, is, is vital. But what's very interesting, even when you see a team position on an NFL sideline, it's the athletic trainer that's doing the quarterbacking of that medical situation at that time. The, the doctor is there gathering as much information as he or she needs to gather in order to move forward with treating this, this particular situation. So. And the doctors, I, I've got to say, doctors that deal with athletic trainers are, are absolutely wonderful. They, they defer to us most of the time. We're right on point with them, with our uh, clinical assessment of an injury. And, um, and doctors, really orthopedic doctors and even non-orthopedic doctors, general practitioners that deal with sports injuries, really rely on us quite a bit. Now, I got to see literally firsthand the tremendous work athletic trainers do at Mets Fantasy Camp. Uh, we were, you know, as the campers. They, they worked hard there. We had they worked the, very the full hard you know, run of the athletic trainers at, at Mets yeah. Fantasy Camp. And they're dealing with guys that are over 40 and not well-oiled 
you know, athletes and basically they're out of shape. Just right. you know, say it straight. <laughs> but they were miracle workers. I, I mean, for me, uh, you know, I would be so tight. I'd go in there and they had all these different tools. And that was the thing that amazed me. Different people were in there for different things. And, and they had so many resources available to them. So over the course of your career, how much has the technology and the resources that you have available to you changed from when you first started? Um, goodness, I started in 1984 as a student, and the, uh, the different types of modalities and techniques and knowledge and manual work and assessment tools and the advent of, of computer programs that help us with what we do in our assessments, um, EMR systems, uh, electronic medical records that allow us to share information and, and to, to harness information, Oh, it's just a different world these days. And by the way, it really warms my heart that you went to Mets uh, Fantasy Camp because I'm a diehard Mets fan, and the longtime former athletic trainer for the Mets, Ray Ramirez, was my college roommate. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so, yeah, so, uh, yeah I'm, uh, I'm very, very happy to hear that you're a Mets fan. That's great. Absolutely. Now, I also mentioned your time with, with Mike Saunders and the Knicks, and I, I vaguely remember, and I might have the, the periodical wrong, reading an article in Sports Illustrated, and, and I, I have to imagine it probably goes back at least 20 years because it mentioned Ben Davis in the article, if I remember. So it's, it's got to be around 1998. It talked about Mike Saunders' hotel room on the road and what it looked like and what he did prior to arrival at the arena dur arenas during the road trips. And it mentioned that he'd be taping ankles, massaging back muscles, overseeing rehab sessions. In his hotel room, there were plastic tubs, huge rolls of adhesive tape, extra towels, tons of bags that he would order from room service of, of ice. How much coordination is needed for road trips you know, back then? And has that changed? Are, are facilities available when you go on the road now? Oh, it's, uh, it's just endless. Um, I remember the article well. The title of the article was Room Service. And uh, while Mike was interviewing for that article, I was busy with room service, treating the athletes that he couldn't get to that day. And um, it's just unreal. Uh, you know, I, my, my, my NFL friends would pick on me a little bit, saying, you've only got 15 athletes to worry about. <laughs> um, you know, we've got an army of athletes to worry about, and everybody's hurt. And you know what? They were right to a certain degree. But... When you have Patrick Ewing and Larry Johnson and Alan Houston and Charlie Ward and, and, and Chris Childs and, and uh, Latrell and Marcus Camby, the list goes on and on, and everybody needs something. Um, Mike was a master at making sure that we had everything we needed everywhere we needed it. Um, we had backups for the backups, as he called it, where we had bags of equipment uh, in case we couldn't find the primary bag the equipment was in or in case something was lost or stolen. Um, wow. And you would need everything. We would have equipment on the plane. We would have equipment in the, air, in the, in the hotel. We would have equipment at the arena. And we, pr we, we, we took an extraordinary amount of pride in being self-sufficient, in never having to ask for anything. And I learned that from Mike. Um, oh, he was the best of the best. 
Yeah, it's interesting because you guys had some, you know, you mentioned a, a litany of the players that had you know, injuries back in the day when you were there. So it goes from Patrick Ewing's wrist in 97, his Achilles the following year. Uh, Latrell Spiro was injured. Alan Houston continually, you know, injured. Larry Johnson's back issues. Looking back at those players and those injuries and the way technology has changed, would any of those players been able to avoid any of those injuries uh, based on, you know, different modalities that you now have in place for these teams? And would any of them be able would have been able to get back quicker based on the different resources you have available to you now um well that's a two-part question i think the first question is could they have been prevented uh patrick's wrist patrick's achilles in the fight in the in the in the conference championships back in 98 um things like that were traumatic injuries they couldn't have been they could not have been prevented they just would occur uh uh, they're circumstantial, and uh, also things like, you know, Allen and, and you mentioned Larry's back, those are degenerative changes. Uh, when strong people uh, torque their, their systems, sometimes there's not a lot you can do to fend off degenerative change. Uh, as far as modalities, I don't know. I think that we did the best we could with what we had, but, of course, the technological advances are there to help uh, shorten the recovery period. And a lot of manufacturers and a lot of research has gone into doing just that, providing us with recovery tools, pro- providing us with new techniques, providing us with more education that I'd say does shorten. Hey, what, Bernard King's ACL took, what, a year or two to come back from. Now you've got athletes coming back from ACL injuries in six months. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, I think technology and the new things that are offered to us are definitely uh, helping us get these athletes better quicker. You take a look at injuries and injuries that sort of trickle down and find their way from the pros to college to high schools to youth sports. What type of advice do you have for parents who are concerned about the safety and health of their children as they compete in organized youth sports? Well, Parents need to get involved and need to put their, their kids in situations where athletic trainers are, are available. Um, we have a nationwide problem with athletic trainers at the youth, at the youth level. Um, 62% of athletic training, of, of sports-related injuries, occurred during practices. And a quarter of, of those injuries go totally untreated. Um, you know, 37% of public high schools in this country have athletic trainers. That's a travesty. So many athletes get to college as damaged goods with injuries, with UCLs and labral tears and hip issues and back issues. I mean, these are kids with recurrent concussions. And in their high schools, they never had anyone to take care of them. Um, and... Until that changes, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say that the, that the Bureau of Labor Statistics predicts an upswing of 23% in athletic training employment uh, by 2026, um, you know, until we, we do something about providing athletic trainers in all levels, in club sports, in travel teams, AAU, CYO, uh, high schools, uh, even elementary schools, um, Kids are going to continue to get hurt, and nothing's going to be done about it. And, uh, 
and that's what we need to really focus on. Lastly, I mentioned in the open how it's National Athletic Training Month, the entire month of March. Uh, so what are some of the events and goals that the NATA has for this month, and where can people find out more about them? Well, um, we are uh, all nationally in different campaigns. Uh, the local athletic trainers were on Good Morning America last week and the Today Show and uh, out there promoting the field of athletic training. Uh, we're all I'm doing this. It, just for my profession, uh, as much as I enjoy talking to you guys, this is very important for me to give back. Um, and we're, we have all different types of campaigns, poster campaigns, media campaigns, interviews. Um, and uh, for more information, people can log on to the NATA website. That's NATA.org. Uh, you can go on to a wonderful website that's very informative called AtYourOwnRisk.org. And the New York State Athletic Training Association's website, GoNysata2.org. That's Go New York State Athletic Training Association 2.org. And it's, uh, these are very informative websites. They give information about athletic training education, initiatives, careers, uh, different employment venues. But it's really important for parents and the public to get behind athletic trainers and to recognize that athletic trainers are not personal trainers. Absolutely. We appreciate your insight tonight, and, and, and definitely those are great resources for parents uh, of any student-athlete as well. So we really appreciate it, Saeed. Thanks so much for coming on tonight. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Saeed Hamden, Medical Coordinator, National Basketball Association Referee Operations.